and welcome back to another episode of the Medical Alley Association podcast series, Leadership Through a Crisis. Our guest today is Chief Business Development Officer at Mayo Clinic, James Rogers. James, why don't you start by introducing yourself? Sure. So my name is Jim Rogers. I am the Chief Business Development Officer for Mayo Clinic. Uh, I've been at Mayo. It'll be 20 years in November. Uh, The role is really to be the front door for business for, for Mayo Clinic. We have a technology transfer and development arm, uh, which we call Mail Clinic Ventures. That's been in business probably for about 30 years. And we have uh, kind of more of a strategic corporate development arm that does what you would consider you know, normal uh, corporate development work, including joint ventures, partnerships, even all the way up to acquisitions. Uh, and I've been running that group now for about three years here within Mail Clinic. And so I assume at Mayo, you all had to be really on top of things when it came to COVID-19. You know, how early on and at what point did the gravity of the situation start to sink in with you? Yeah, I think it started getting on everybody's radar, um, you know, from a clinical perspective pretty early. Uh, Certainly January, February, some alarm bells were starting to 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 ring. We really hit us uh, in March pretty hard uh, because from a clinical perspective, we wanted to decompress our campuses and bring non-patient facing functions off campus. So basically on March 16th, which was my birthday, I will never forget it as long as I live, um, we went virtual. So we went uh, overnight from being an organization that was based on our campus to an organization that was based off our campus. And I have to really hand it to my team. They did a phenomenal job of getting us where we needed to be. And while we were doing that, we, we obviously had to keep our eye on making sure we, we kept our core business running because we have a, a P&L we run off of, but then also figure out how we can most effectively respond to the crisis. And so part of that uh, was trying to take work off of our clinical leaders' desks. So if they were receiving inquiries about where you could find PPE, or if they were receiving inquiries about how you can maybe sterilize a new idea to sterilize masks, et cetera. We took all of that and basically allowed them to be focused on what they needed to be focused on, which was the crisis at hand. Um, but surprisingly, throughout all of this, uh, the deal-making continued. Uh, and I think it's a testament to our, our leaders at Mayo Clinic, uh, Dr. Gianrico Ferrugia, who's uh, new in the CEO position, Jeff Bolton, the CAO, our governors, our trustees, that a lot of the areas that we were exploring from what we call our 2030 vision um, were our areas that, that kind of became exceptionally relevant uh, in the crisis. So if you think about how do you take care of people um, at home, particularly with advanced conditions, if you think about how you deal with big data and how you allow that data to be essentially liberated for purposes of discovery work, such as vaccines, uh, and when you think about how you treat uh, people virtually, all of that really were the areas of focus for our department. So in a lot of ways, um, COVID accelerated things, but um, um, this is probably acceleration that needed to happen in the, in the healthcare uh, industry in general. And with all of that going on, I imagine that your role had to change. Did your job description have to change a little bit as COVID hit? Yeah, I mean, um, job descriptions stay the same, but uh, how you did the job definitely changed. Um, we, you know, there's not a, a very good playbook. What, we're, what I'm finding is there's not a very good playbook on how you manage people virtually. Uh, there are people who do it and they've done it effectively, but certainly what happens is um, 
you, you really have to um, increase your communication flow um, and, and spend a lot more time trying to make sure people are aligned. And then again, you know, we went, we, we continue to do deals and we continue to be focused on executing on the 2030 strategy, but we also had a big component on how do we react to the crisis and what do we do to help our practice ensure that patients are safe, that we're doing what we need to do for our caregivers to be safe. We're providing them whatever help and assistance and tools we can provide them. And then longer term, what is the world going to look like emerging from COVID and where should we be focused from a business development standpoint? When the virus first started to hit, it seemed like all eyes were on the Mayo Clinic. You had your very own challenges to face. What would you say would be the unique role Mayo played in addressing COVID-19? Yeah, I mean, we're part of a big part of the fabric, right? It's not just us. And, and we got to be clear about that. But certainly where Mayo was able to respond and help is we're fortunate from, from geography where we're located that our geographies weren't hit uh, immediately. So we could lend assistance to others. We have, um, you know, a significant research function and it's integrated with our clinical function and our education function. And so it was areas of, of vaccine research, areas of testing, we were already very, very focused on to begin with. We probably have one of the largest, if not the largest, esoteric testing reference labs in the country. And that lab was able to pivot very quickly and move to uh, open up capacity with the help of, of many people. But that lab was really focused with its infrastructure to be able to open capacity uh, on testing and then bringing up the tests. And as you can imagine, when you're trying to start from scratch, you're not 100% sure about um, what you're looking for quite yet because you haven't quite figured out all the mechanisms of the disease. Uh, it's truly remarkable how quickly these tests were made available, not just the PCR test to confirm whether or not you have, you have an active infection, but the serology test, the neutralizing antibody test, et cetera. And that work continues as we all try to figure out what it means for immunity, what it means for getting back to work. You know, Mayo has been very focused on, on moving that ball forward. We're also very, very fortunate to have Dr. John Holamka, who joined Mayo Clinic, to be president of the Mayo Clinic platform. And as part of his role, he became um, a coordinator of a national coalition that really was focused on trying to hit immediate needs and making sure that industries were focused on trying to solve the problem at hand. You know, initially being PPE and moving into vaccines and moving into testing and capacity, et cetera. Have there been any lessons learned by yourself or Mayo going through this pandemic? And have any of those lessons changed the way you're operating moving forward? We have changed and, and, and we haven't. Where we haven't changed is we're still focused on patient care and we're still focused on uh, serious and complex conditions. And we're still focused on making sure patients have them, you know, as best an experience as they can given what they're going through. What has changed and what we have learned is that a lot of work can be done virtually that wasn't done virtually before. So healthcare is probably the last great, great industry to be disrupted. And a lot of the activities that were underway or on the board that people were talking about, mm, this could be coming in two to three years, happened overnight virtually. So very quickly, things that were maybe prohibited from being able to uh, offer um, a nationwide virtual consult those barriers started to break down. 
the ability to look at new models like caring for patients at home, even if they have serious or complex conditions. That was tremendously accelerated through the regulatory front, the reimbursement front, and the willingness and the desire of people to take advantage of that um, type of service. Because if you can imagine, if I could stay away from a hospital, lower my risk at the time of COVID infection, I'm much better off. I'd like to stay at home. Well, then it turns out once COVID is over, people would, would prefer to stay at home if they could anyhow. And so that sort of thing has been accelerated. And I think that's a good thing for, for the industry. I think it's a great thing for Mayo. And Mayo has been, our leadership has been very, very responsive to make sure that we're focused on providing what the patients need and how, how to get the service to them where they need it. So from my perspective, I think you'll see a much more virtual, uh, vir virtual and a much more digital organization than what you've seen in the past. And that's very consistent with John Rico's vision of Mayo Clinic moving into 2030. You previously touched on this, but some people have said their biggest concern is that things will go back to the way that they were once the dust settles from all of this. Do you see that happening? I think it's been changed. I think there'll be some who will try to go back to, to, to the past. And I think those folks um, will unfortunately um, suffer for it. I, it's not what patients want. It's, it's what patients want to see what, what's evolving right now, at least in my opinion. I think it's a high degree of satisfaction to have this much more flexible approach. And frankly, I think the caregivers like it too. There's, not, there's still things to work out. There's still aspects to work out. But being able to be much more virtual, but still have people come that need to come uh, and need to be seen for surgeries, it's tremendous. It's, it's, it's really kind of what needed to happen for healthcare in general. So from my perspective, I think it's here to stay. Um, I think there'll be probably a little bit of backsliding. That's human nature. Um, but I think people and the incentives and everything else seem to be lining up to say, this was a good change overall, and this is a change we want to see continue. You mentioned before on your birthday that overnight your operations had to change and your role had to change. What would you say your greatest challenge has been and how are you overcoming it? Yeah, I definitely learned from it. it it's, it's been an amazing experience from that perspective, looking back and being in the heat of the battle. No one probably felt that way, but um, it's been a tremendous growth experience, I think, for anyone who was in a leadership position. Um, it, it validated just what an amazing team I have and how fortunate I am to have the team and, frankly, um, the organization that I work for. It's truly a remarkable organization that really took care of its employees during this uh, crisis, um, over and above, I think, what most organizations did, and, and that's a testament to its character. But the learning for me was, um, you know, the, the, when you're virtual, the separation of work and home um, blurs pretty quickly. Um, on top of that, when, when you have a lot of uncertainty out there, you have, you know, team members who are wired to get it done and wired to work hard, um, really in risk of burning out, really in risk of being, um, becoming ineffective because they're, they're, they're kind of working too much. And you have to be able to help people balance that kind of unknown that's sitting out there that can cause stress keep folks uh, really focused on what's important, uh, particularly if you're in a crisis, uh, but also make sure that you're protecting yourself as a leader. And that's not easy to do because typically you're gonna give yourself up as much as you can. So really learning that not only myself, but my entire leadership team had to be 
very intentional about protecting ourselves, um, but making sure we're still getting the job done in a crisis that was ever evolving. That, that was probably the biggest challenge. But the skill sets, it just it shows, one, you can, you, particularly if you have a great team, you can pivot and you can get done what you need to get done. It's really about making sure people understand where the focus is and then doing whatever, whatever you can to help eliminate the roadblocks from a leadership standpoint to let them get done what they need to done, get done. And I'd say the other thing is, you know, it, it really changed us from a, more of that top-down hierarchical to a lot more of a flatter organization, which is kind of where we wanted to get to anyhow. But this allowed us to get there, I think. And, and, it, got, it, and it was a great proof point to show that, um, you know, you, you can rely on folks in different parts of the organization and they really shouldn't have to go through one or two additional layers to get the job done. And, you know, I, like I said, I got an amazing team, so we got a lot of a high degree of trust in this team and in their capabilities, so it's easier for us. But that is a learning experience, and I think one that others should be thinking about too. Uh, you, you can probably be a lot less hierarchical than you are, and you can eliminate a lot of barriers. Um, if you just kind of kind of think of yourself in crisis mode, even though you're not necessarily today in crisis mode anymore. So talking about protecting yourself and your staff by getting away from work on occasion, how are you doing that? Some medical alley association companies have talked about adding COVID mental health days. Others have requested that emails don't be sent after a certain time unless it's an emergency. What are you doing to sort of guarantee that work-life balance and that separation? No one, and, and we got a lot of type A personalities. It's just the nature of who we recruit and the nature of the people that are on our teams. Um, so they're they're going to push pretty hard to begin with, um, and at some level they're happy when they're working hard. That being said, what we try to do is one thing in particular I try to do is limit the weekend flow, um, the twenty four seven all on kind of thing. And I've been very intentional about anything I send over the weekend. Because if I send something that's going to spur a potential response that maybe isn't really necessary over the weekend. And so that's one thing I try to do is help our folks to the extent possible protect the weekends. Everyone's still working weekends, but really try to cut down on the flow on the weekends. We have pushed everybody and we're trying to model that from a leadership standpoint to take a vacation. We haven't gone the extra step of maybe a few mental health days, and that's not a bad idea. In fact, you know, I'm always learning, so I'm, I'm happy to hear what others are doing. Um, but one thing we have, have talked to people about is making sure that we're modeling the behavior and we're taking vacation. And when we're on vacation, that we're on vacation. Now, we had you know, some folks on furlough throughout the organization, and it was instructive that you know, when people are away, they can be away. Um, they can come back and they still can be 100% effective and the organization can still be effective while folks are away for a week or whenever. So um, that, that's a learning and I think people are starting to understand that a little bit as well. And then finally, we did try to do kind of like a, a meeting-free week where we didn't impose any additional meetings. There's some that just had to happen, but part of being virtual, at least for us, as we're going up the learning curve was a lot of stand-up meetings, a lot of real-time communication to make sure people understood where things were going, particularly at the height of the crisis. And that just required a lot of time when people were on these meetings, ad hoc or scheduled or otherwise. And we've really tried to ramp them down as things 
tend to, you know, get back to a little bit more of normalcy. Um, understanding every once in a while we got to ramp it back up. But then we try to go to that extra step of just taking a week and for certain functions, not putting any meetings on the calendars and really allowing them just to get some work done. I think everybody's finding that once you get into this um, Zoom-based work style, uh, you can be on a video almost all day long and getting the real work done behind the scenes after the meetings is becoming more and more challenging. So it's really trying to make sure we strike that balance. Well, I really love hearing about your leadership through that and how you're guiding your team through that. You also lead on the Medical Alley Association Board of Directors. And in that role, you've gotten to see what this industry has been doing in response to COVID-19. Can you tell me a little bit about your thoughts on all of that? Part of it might be just the Midwest culture. I don't know. It's what's remarkable is the selflessness. It's when, when something like this hits, people are all in and they try to figure out how they can help. And they're not looking for credit. In fact, they prefer not to get credit. Instead, what they're looking for is how do I make a real difference? That's what struck me probably the most. The other thing that struck me is that people kept their focus. You never really saw anyone panic. People were concerned. Um, people were very concerned. But no one threw up their arms and, and became ineffective. It really was a truly leadership-based approach for this region. And I, and I am I, I'm not surprised that I'm absolutely, you know, just proud to be part of this organization, be part of this region. Um, the leadership that was demonstrated was, was phenomenal. And Medical Alley did a phenomenal job as well. Um, you know, there was a, there was a key kind of coordinating roles and policy roles and um, kind of connecting functions that occurred, again, behind the scenes, but the right thing to do, the things that needed to be done. And it shows you the power of an organization, you know, like a medical alley, because all the key leaders are there and they're all at C-level positions. So if, if you need an answer, an answer can be had. And sometimes the answer was, can't help on this issue. So people aren't, aren't wasting their time trying to, trying to uh, you know, beat their head against the wall. Getting to no was as important as getting to yes on answers during the crisis, in my opinion, just as valuable. So I was really encouraged from my perspective to see people put aside the traditional, maybe kind of competitive um, overlaps, et cetera, and agendas or whatever you want to call them, and instead really focus on the matter at hand. And that's really a reflection, I think, of the people that you see by and large in this region. They're straight players. What you see is what you get. They're gonna work exceptionally hard. They're, they're, they're humble and what they, you know, they're humble, uh, but they're results oriented. And from my perspective, I, you know, what else could you ask for? What else can you ask for to be part of this type of region, this type of organization? Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Medical Alley Association podcast series, Leadership Through a Crisis. To make sure you don't miss a single episode, follow us on social media, subscribe to our newsletter, and visit us at medicalalley.org.